The Athletic. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name is Sammy James. Thank you for listening to the show today, brought to you by The Athletic UK. Uh, We're going to be looking back at Fulham's narrow defeat to Manchester United on Wednesday. As the Red Party left the White House, the Red Team left Craven Cottage with the result they wanted, but it was close and Fulham certainly had their chances uh, to get it all square. I'm joined today by Chief Fulham Writer for The Athletic, Peter Rutzler. Hi Sammy, how you doing? Fine, thank you. And a man who looks as comfortable behind a microphone as the incoming president on that podium yesterday, Mr Jack Collins. Hello listeners. Thank you Sammy, that's very kind. And Jack, speaking of all things inauguration, uh, I have a little um, quiz for you. It's only going to take a couple of seconds. So the last time that Fulham played a game on inauguration day, I looked this up, was the 20th of January 2001 in our triumphant first division season. We went away to Watford. Of course, George Bush got sworn in as the president that day. Uh, Fulham won 3-1. There were two scorers for Fulham. There was one scorer for Watford. I'd like you to try and name all the goal scorers. Okay. I remember this game. I have a DVD. of. Well, I don't remember this game. Obviously, I was about four. But um, I have a DVD of this season and I have watched it a lot of times and I can tell you that the goal scorers were Louis Morte, who I think got two in quick succession if I'm not wrong bloody hell and Louis Saha and the man who scored for Watford would go on to become a Fulham player Heide Helgson oh Jack Collins round of applause I was not expecting you to get I thought you might just like get either Louis Saha or Boa Morte because they were kind of obvious answers but to get Heide Helgeson as well fair play my I, man. I, honestly play. I can't tell you how many times I've watched that DVD um like when I when I was growing up it was like the only thing at my nan's house it was a VHS back then I've got a DVD of it now but it was a VHS and I used to watch it like every day when I came back from school when I was like eight and nine um, so most of that season is quite aggressively ingrained in my head. I mean, you just, I'm just on the Wikipedia for that season and there's so much green. It's just absolutely beautiful. We were so and there's good. just, there's just the odd red that just really stands out. Like losing to Stockport County 2-0 on New Year's Day, like it's such a rogue result in what was an unbelievable season. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, um, it, it was a really enjoyable watch, mostly because we won all the time. I think that's probably why I watched it so many times. And um, of course, uh, we still lost to Burnley away. And the final day of the season where we lost to Grimsby Town, not that anyone cared because we were long champions by yeah, then. But exactly. just... Uh, uh, job done at that point. I think everyone was drunk. Yeah. And we went from Grimsby to Old Trafford in the uh, in the next game, like the most perfect um, illustration of the, uh, the, uh, the difference between the two divisions. Anyway, we've uh, waxed lyrical about uh, a season that happened 20 years ago, long enough. Back to last night, Jack. Uh, what were the best three word reviews that came in? Uh, I mean, probably the best of the lot from Jack Taplin. Uh, 48 likes on this one. Twitter. Biden our time, which was, you know, topical uh, i like luke resh's toothless versus ruthless nick potts with let's swap calves was really good <laughs> um, rick cardis had two good ones paul's french mustard i enjoyed um and six mm. pointers ahead and alistair nimmo the 18th hole i thought was clever and uh, nick austin with still no cigar i think probably sums it up 
Yeah, it does indeed. Bringing me nicely on to my, my first point, Peter. Um, you penned a piece for, for The Athletic this morning, Peter, and it was looking about how good performances for Fulham, but there's still that frustration that we aren't picking up points. If you want to read Peter's Pete's uh, throughout January, you can subscribe to The Athletic for a special price. Grace analysis and in-depth features from the best football writers around, including our very own Peter, uh, as well as ad-free versions of all our podcasts. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Fulham pod to sign up and you can enjoy The Athletic throughout 2021 for less than £4 a month. Peter, uh, your thoughts on last night, because there is that pride and and Scott Parker said he was proud of the players last night but also 18 games 12 points still cut adrift from the teams above us and and those games on the horizon are are looming larger and larger yeah I I sort of wanted to tap into this sort of feeling of things are going well performances are, are impressive against very difficult teams um but then some of the the paper realities of, of what's going on. Obviously, Fulham haven't won for, for the, in the last seven games, and there's now a four point gap, and it's trying to hold those two ideas in your head, which is difficult in an age without nuance, and uh, um, and just sort of play into that a little bit because it feels like with the results of late, there's they, they have been impressive. The performances have been good. Everyone is sort of buying into it, not just from from a media perspective, from a support perspective, uh, perspective, but opposition managers as well, there's a realisation that when you play Fulham now, it's going to be a very difficult game. And that's a very, very good thing. Um, but but at the same time, that just not picking up the wins. And, you know, obviously there's some clear explanations for it from the really slow start to um, you can look into the, the goal issues and, and just the inability to take the chances when they come. Um, and it's just trying to make sense of are Fulham in a good position here? Are, has this run of form been good? Has it actually been as good as we think it is? It clearly has been in terms of performances, but in terms of the season as a whole and Fulham's survival hopes, how important will this be? Will it be a case of this? This, this these were the games that set Fulham on the right track? They pulled them clear. They got points that made the difference. Or will it be a case of these were the games that you know they had maybe a chance to make up for that lost ground at the start of the season and um, haven't then gone on to, to to bolster it. And I think really the next couple of games, because of the fact that Fulham haven't won in, in any of the last seven uh, against Brighton and West Brom suddenly are a lot more important. They were always going to be important, but there's a there's an added pressure to them where I feel if, if, if Fulham don't pick up these points now, and it's, it's easy to say because you can go on a run at any point in the season and, and it can be transformative. But even when I was you know covering Bournemouth last year and looking at the way they were playing, it, it was around a similar time when they had these important games and you knew that if Bournemouth didn't pick up those points at that time, that uh, it was going to be very difficult no matter what happened at the end of the season. And uh, it feels a little bit like that here with these games, which now have a little bit more on them because if Fulham lose to Brighton and that gap gets bigger, if Fulham then lose to to West Brom and West Brom pull themselves back into it and they they have City, I think, and then they've got Sheffield United to come in short succession as well. So uh, they do seem really, really big games now. And I think they also have a bearing on how we see the run uh, that we've just been on. In the last 11, we've played nine of the current top 10. We've got eight points and we've only lost by more than a goal once, which was against City, right? This This is an impressive run, but it doesn't dig you out of a hole. So... 
the, the thing is what you can do is you go, right, that's impressive. That's a touchstone to kick on. And now you've got to look at these next games and go, right, if we, I mean, if we don't pick up points here, then we're in serious trouble. And, and, and that's unfortunately just how it is. You know, it doesn't matter that those eight points are, are going to be, are going to look really good at the end of the season. You know, they'll only look good if Fulham are in 17th or above. If we're in 18th, those those games are going to look like dropped points, unfortunately. And and, and that's simply, you know, the, the, the way of the world in this league. And it's a funny one. The Brighton game, I think, is a 100% must win. You know, they're five points ahead of us. Yes, we've got a game in hand, but five points ahead of us. If they, if even if, if we were to pick up four points off these games, as Dom said on full time last night, you want to be beating Brighton and drawing to West Brom. You know, that's the way you do it, because the more teams you reel into the mix the better. And yeah. and if you're looking at it that way, then West Brom picking up, you know, just getting a point there isn't the end of the world because they're a point off us. Whereas if Brighton got a point, they maintain that five point gap. And that's much more painful from a, from a Fulham perspective because you're not reeling them in. So, so that's where I'm at on it. I think it needs at least four. Yes. Six. I think six would be a, a huge statement of intent. Yeah. Um, but I think it's at least four, but three have to come against Brighton. That is a simply a must win game. Have we been a little bit guilty? Right. We've been talking all season about how the games against the big six are not free hits. And actually, I think Fulham have been really good this season and not treating them that way. And look at the return from it. We got a point against Liverpool. We got a point um, against Spurs. And we went and got three points up at Leicester, although there's still something about Leicester which doesn't feel like big six. But look at the way they've performed this season. They, They very much are. But maybe in the games where we have been playing against opposition that are in and around us, actually, maybe we haven't been critical enough that we haven't got the three points. The Brighton and Newcastle games in the recent run, I think, show that, particularly that Brighton game at home, where I think we were like, oh, well, you know, we kept a clean sheet and we did well. Maybe we need to be a little bit have a bit more expectations in those games, Peter. Actually, less than three points is not really good enough if you're to stay in the league. And and, and the league is formed now. We know who our relegation rivals are. And, and maybe we have to have our expectations a bit higher in those games rather than these big games. And, you know, our change in attitude has served as well, but it's only going to get you a few points a season, whereas these games at the bottom are the bread and butter. I think, I think you're spot on there, really, Sammy. Um, you know, it does feel kind of you know, churlish just to like look at that run as, as Jack outlined and go, well, you know, may not actually be good enough. And it's, it's, it's been fantastic. I mean, there's no point like playing it down, how good the performances have been, how competitive Fulham have been in those games. And look at the goal difference, you know, you, you compare it to West Brom, Sheffield United and you know, Fulham's goal difference is minus 12, West Brom's minus 28. Um, that's, that's huge. That's really, really important. And now you've come through the games where you're likely to get hit for six, for example. I don't think, you know, that's the... <laughs> that's an exaggeration perhaps, but there's it, more likely than not to happen in, in those games. And that's also a big factor. But you then look into the run and then you look at the Newcastle game and you look at the Brighton game and you think those were the, those were the misses. Those are the really big misses perhaps that makes the, the run that Fulham had just been on a good one to an excellent one. Um, Brighton at home in particular, I, I, there was obviously that come down after the Liverpool game where there was the energy of the crowd, that first half of just incredible intensity. Uh, it, it felt almost inevitable that Fulham weren't going to be able to match that. But the performance itself was not on the same level as the against the bigger teams. And what Fulham don't want to fall into the trap of is being able to raise themselves for the big games, but not for the smaller ones. Now, that seems silly um, to suggest, and, and you know, especially for, for professional football and whatever, but these psychological elements are, are really, really key. Um 
the Newcastle game as well. I mean, Fulham were completely all over Newcastle. And, and in truth, when you reflect on it, you, Fulham should have won that match. Um, yes, there was the red card and, and the, the VAR decision, and which which we can we can moan about till the cows come home, really. But um, those two are matches that you that they really needed to take those wins, and that's the sort of uncertainty I think that sort of plays into all of this. It's you know that's that's the worry, isn't it? That's the sense of that can't really happen again. That certainly can't happen again, as, as Jack outlined against Brighton and, and and maybe not against West Brom too. Um, and the other, the other thing about the Premier League is, is you know, the top 10 is so tight um, and even the teams just behind them, you know, Arsenal, uh, Leeds, Palace, um, that's so Palace, I think. But, you know, the, these, are, these are teams that have been playing very, very well and are very, very hard to beat anyway. And, and the fact that there are so many teams now competitive for the European places means that games you think, actually, Joe, that's... That's going to be really tough to get points from. Actually, you're going to have to try and get something because because of the nature of the league now, and because of how tight it is, and how much stronger those sort of upper middle class teams are. Um, so, yeah, I think I think those are the ones where you look back and you think maybe maybe Fulham should have done a bit better in those. And but that's the, the beauty of hindsight, of course. Um, and you know we'll probably have a different perspective from if the next couple of games go well, as as we said earlier. It's just worth pointing out while we're while we're doing this that yes, and, and Peter says it, hindsight's a wonderful thing. At the end of the Brighton game, we felt that perhaps we were a little bit lucky to come away with a point. And uh, I think it's worth noting that. Like, yes, of course, you want to get three points out of those games. Um, but one of the things that we've said that we didn't do was get points out of games that we didn't deserve. And, and perhaps that Brighton game was an example of a, a game that we wouldn't have got a point out of in a different time. I think the Newcastle game is different. And, and look, I think you can look back at the Sheffield United game, if I'm honest, about games that we should have won and games that just didn't fall our way. And, you know, there was Mitrovic who, who had those chances at that Sheffield United game that, that really should have put that game to bed and, and had, it, had it seen off. But it didn't. That's a game where I think we dropped two points. The Brighton game, where things just didn't, you know, we made some excellent saves. We under the cosh. Yes, we had a big chance with Loftus-Cheek, but I'd say the majority of the major chances fell to Brighton in that game. It felt a bit like we got away with one. And so that's worth just pointing out that at the time, we were a bit like, ooh, okay, we've we've maybe done okay here. Yeah, no, I think you have to remember each game and not just as an opponent, etc. That Brighton game, we were lucky to come out with a point and Brighton were definitely the better team. But I think it's... It's where Fulham have to start being ruthless now. We, we, we've we kind of had lots of games where we've kind of made excuses for legitimate reasons. But now in these next two games, obviously we'll judge them on exactly what happens. And if Fulham get completely robbed, then Fulham get completely robbed uh, by a, whatever. But we have to start being ruthless in these games and, and three points at all costs, really, as far as us and the fans are concerned. Um, let's come on to the game, Jack. And it was two changes for Fulham. Um, it was Joe Bryan coming in as well as Loftus-Cheek. Obviously, Joe Bryan coming in for Robinson, who's suspended. And then Loftus-Cheek coming in for Decker Dover-Reed, who was also suspended because he picked up his fifth yellow card in that game against Chelsea. Uh, I thought that the, the lineup looked decent. I thought Bryan slotted in really well in replacement of Robinson, as probably expected. And, and we'll come on to Loftus-Cheek's second-half performance um, in a little bit. But it was a brilliant start from Fulham Jack and you know not just the goal that we scored but in that first five ten minutes we really came out the blocks and, and caused United lots of problems 
Yeah, early in the season, we complained about Fulham not starting with any intensity. But I think we've seen in the last couple of games that it's actually us that's flown out of the blocks first half. And and, and we were rewarded for that on it last night with, with Adamola Lookman's goal. And yeah, we, we just looked sharp. We looked bright. And and like you say, the changes didn't seem to have, have too much an effect in, in that first period. You know, Joe Bryan... Um, I thought did okay. Uh, I didn't think he was brilliant, but I thought he he did what he needed to do reasonably well. Um, and and then you look at uh, Ruben Loftus Cheek, and and like you say, we'll come on to it. It was a bit Jekyll and Hyde, but yeah, the the start was good. I was impressed with how with how much intensity was in that, especially given you know those lack lackadaisical starts earlier in the season. And and, and yeah, it felt like we were on the move towards something you know sharper, and and we got that just rewards for it. Um, Peter, what was the feeling inside the ground when Lookman's goal went in? Because I, at home, I didn't celebrate. I, I just was just, I, because the way that Lookman almost stopped to see if he was offside, I was just fully expecting either the linesman to flag, which then didn't happen. Then I said to my dad, well, VAR is going to rule this out. And obviously we didn't know that um, Wabasaka had played Lookman onside. But what was the feeling in the ground? Were people celebrating? Was Were players looking around to see what would happen? No, there's no one there, Sammy. So, I mean, there was no one celebrating. <laughs> well, I mean, the bench and all of that. <laughs> um, yeah, I, to be honest, I, I thought it was a goal. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm, where I'm sitting, I'm, I'm sitting nearer the, the Putney end than, than the Hammersmith end. Um, so I couldn't really see the line and I just just assumed. I mean, it did look very strange for, for Lookman to go through on goal so easily. It just did seem like a very simple pass from Angisa and, and Lookman was away. Um, I think there was a little bit more muted in terms of celebration um I, I think that's just just natural i think that you, there's always that sort of worry there's the, the looks to both the line and then um and then for var which is which is quite hard to tell is is happening at craven cottage i've found a little bit um you know i you assume that the check is going on for everything um i think that's the same with, with most grounds where the, the, it appears on the screens quite late um so yeah, I mean, it was it was interesting to see um, Lookman in that role and to be so effective so early. Um, I, the, I think that was something that a few people had sort of mentioned as a possibility instead of Cavalera because he does seem to offer everything that Cavalera does with that end product, uh, that ability to to find the net, to, to 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 finish with a cool head, and he certainly did with that opportunity because you know I, I think Parker mentioned it afterwards, but there was a, there was a little bit of time there between knowing you're receiving the ball and then putting it past David De Gea. Uh, a lot of thinking time. It's not instinct. And it's a very different skill uh, when you're striking the ball, um, having to think about it. And, you know, he, he's shown uh, ice cool composure and um, looks like an option that could be used up there. I think, um, I think well, <laughs> as, you, as you reflect on the game, there were, there were opportunities for Cavalero again, where we've seen that his, just, his end product in and around the 18-yard box just hasn't been you know, good enough, really. And uh, I'm thinking of the the opportunity where Angis has um, played the ball through to him and he's not quite been able to get a shot off. Uh, so maybe Lugman can get more of those opportunities. Obviously, the worry would have been the fact that he was playing against Harry Maguire and Eric Bailly and against big centre-halves. You know, kick, will he receive the ball? Will he have the same space? But he seemed to, to buzz around really nicely, to pull away, drop into areas, pull out wide, um, and was still able to, to cause a lot of problems. So if that doesn't, you know temper his best qualities then you know maybe maybe that is an option for for Fulham um unless they can get someone in or or bring Mitrovic back into some form of um some form of role really 
Uh, Jack, the next goal, which was obviously from from Man United, uh, the warning signs were there just 30 seconds before when, when Bruno Fernandes found far too much space on the 18-yard box, fired in a rocket of a goal. I would rather have that had gone in rather than what happened about 30 seconds later. Obviously, Ariola's mistake, a second in two games. And I've got a tweet here, and I know you got a few of these as well, Jack, from Andrew Mayle, who said, at Fulhamish Pod, at Mr. Sammy James, I'm blaming you guys for Ariola's two mistakes to Chelsea in today. Never big up our players again. Uh, I think we're going to have to fall on our swords for this one, Jack, because uh, it was us just this time last week saying that he was the best keeper since Van der Sar. And I still stand by what I said, but it, the timing is horrendous. Hang on, what I said was he was the best goalkeeper since Mark Schwarzer, but he had the similar effect to what Van der Sar had when he came in because it was such an out of the blue bullet, right? And that's what I said, and I stand by it. Um, I, I think if you actually look at some of the saves that he made from the snapshots, from the headers uh, it, yesterday, then then you can still, even with the mistake, be like, that was unbelievable. No one writes off Van der Sar because of that weird time where he tried to he tried to Cruyff turn around Jeremy Eladier and, and lost the ball, right? And nobody, nobody writes him off and is like, oh, he wasn't very good because he made the odd mistake. Like, yeah. yes, of course, people make mistakes. And if you have, if you can see the amount of shots that we've been conceding on our goal, then eventually something's going to give uh, and, and yesterday that was that wasn't yeah, less it wasn't great Look, let's not be on it let's not let's not beat around the bush it was poor from Ariola, and he'll be he'll be kicking himself but we've seen him do that a couple of times in terms of he likes to palm the ball out towards the the box rather than over his own goal for a corner or and, and with the amount of free headers we've been giving up from corners over the last two games i don't really blame him um, but, you know, it happens to be that sometimes those fall to a Fulham player. And in the, in the case of the last two, they haven't. And that's been unfortunate for him. But, yeah, I just want to go back to your point. Your original point is that the amount of space and time that we gave Bruno Fernandes on the end of the box to, to pick his spot and fire should have been a warning sign for what happened in the second half. And yet we let it happen twice in the same game with two of the best long range shooters in the Premier League playing against us and we expected not to get punished that's bizarre that's bizarre from what i'm seeing and i'm not sure who it is that should be closing down bruno fernandes at that point i'm not sure if that's one of the midfield two that needs to be dropping in to help their defense i don't know if it's one of the back three stepping up towards the midfield given that there was only one striker on but somebody has to close him down because if you give him that time and space he's usually going to hit the target we were lucky that he didn't score and we were punished for it in the second half i agree about the positional sense of the, the midfielders I, I think that was that always had the potential to be an issue when you're playing in a two against this United team especially with, with Pogba drifting into those areas as well and uh, it was interesting because the way United set up they had Greenwood really high and right and then Marshall really high and left which meant that both wingbacks were very pedned in so you had the flat five which meant you know that there was always potential for United to have the ball in front of Fulham which is fine except the fact that United have the quality then to strike from long distance and obviously there were the warning signs from Fernandez, and then Pogba in the second half where he showed a, a, an absolutely fantastic strike I was right behind that and there's not much you could say you could do about it but when you do have those the, a two like that it makes it difficult I just wonder maybe if you had Loftus-Cheek in a, a bit, bit deeper then maybe you, you could have sort of sealed those areas a little bit I was pretty impressed with United, though, in terms of the intensity and in terms of the teams I've, I've seen at, the, at Craven Cottage as well. Uh, the way they moved the ball, they moved it very, very quickly. Uh, they put Fulham under a lot of pressure, more pressure than I think uh, the team have been under for a little while, actually. Um, different threats from different areas. And 
Whereas, you know, you'd think, well, um, you know, you'd, you'd think that they dominate in those wide areas of the quality they've got there. But then when they don't do that, they can operate in the space. And, and Cavani was able to occupy all three of the centre halves superbly. His movement's so, so, so good. And um, trying to actually deal with him is, 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 is a real challenge. And But yeah, just going back to Ariola as well, <laughs> sod's law that it happens after, after we praise him. Uh, I, I agree with Jack in terms of uh, the value he has to the team. I, I do think there is something there though with with the way he he deals with those crosses and um and his and his tendency to sort of palm things out. I think the, the first one is, is an error anyway. He just sort of doesn't claim the ball in, in the way you'd want to. But every now and again, you just see him put the ball into a dangerous area. And I, I think back to the Sheffield United game as well before the penalty, where he's not really comfortable correctly. He's not made a good connection with it. Um, you know, as you, as you say, when when you're under a lot more pressure, the probability of making those errors is is a lot higher. But th- there is something small there that you know probably would be something to to look out for. I felt for him last night because I felt like he thought that Yoko Anderson was going to get something on it, and it was a really skiddy surface last night. So obviously, you may not know this if you're not in the UK, but it was absolutely blowing buckets last night, and like there was, it was really, it was rainy, it was windy, and I don't actually know if Ariola was trying to palm it out. I think he was trying to gather it, but it just he thought that Anderson was going to get it, had split seconds to then adjust his hands, ease away whether Anderson got to it or not, and then just let it slip and it's just unfortunate that and they and they got it right on bt last night it was one of the few things they did get right about cavani is is lethal and and is a deadly deadly striker and against most other teams even in the premier league they don't have a striker that can do what he does and sniff out chances like that i mean it was so clinical it was it was ridiculous yeah look it's worth pointing out that this is potentially where we see the limitations of the five at the back right because if your fullbacks are penned in by your you know your wingbacks are penned in by wingers uh, and then you have three people trying to being occupied by a single striker you're always going to get overrun in the middle and and actually that's where this potentially falls down and and look there there's a there's an argument to suggest that actually if you are going to play like this then you have to you have to get Olaina and Tosin Adrabayo to come out and challenge those two midfielders who are drifting you have to get them to step up onto a Bruno Fernandes onto a Paul Pogba because they're the players who are obviously going to strike from deep and let Joachim Anderson or whoever is you know whichever of them is playing in the central role at the time obviously it rotates a little bit throughout the course of the game and deal with the striker and and try and make that one-on-one because otherwise you have way too much time and space to, to pick out shots and, and with players, you know, as I say, like Fernand and Pogba, who can shoot from distance, who are deadly from that kind of range, you're going to get punished. And we did get punished yesterday. And and I think actually maybe it was a, a one of those things where Scott could have shifted it because if we had gone for it at the back a little bit earlier, put Olaraina into midfield, he wouldn't even have needed necessarily to to change the personnel. We saw Olaraina step into that midfield role um, and, and deal with it. In, in the QPR game, that it would have been maybe just tightened us up a little bit in the middle and given us a little bit more legs. And and I think in that regard, there was potentially a little bit more room for a tactical swap yesterday because of the way that United pinned the full uh, the wing backs in. I guess the, the, the only the only thing is that is there's two sides to it to it, isn't there though? So if you if you then put one of those back three into into the middle, you, you with a player like Cavani and his ability to move and create space, you suddenly leave more gaps. 
And that was one of the biggest issues in the opening days of the season was the spaces that Fulham were leaving in the back line. I think of the Villa game where it was just it was just cavernous gaps. The Leeds game where you've got the centre-half or a defender pushing very high onto Marky's man and suddenly you leave those big spaces. And then when you do have like <laughs> the players of the quality of, of, of a Greenwood or of a Fernandez or a Marshall, they can pick the pass, they can play around that press. So I guess it's, it's sort of that balance, isn't it? And then you, you, you take the probabilities and go, well, what's more likely here that United can pass through us or we let them shoot from longer distance and hope that Ariola can, can pull off a save? And I guess on balance, when you actually think of the chances United managed to create, they didn't actually create that many good golden opportunities. I mean, the goals and the mistake. I mean, Fernandez had a couple of shots from distance that, that really did cause some problems. Um, Pogba's goals from from 25, 30 yards. Um, and, and, as, well, and also that, quite a few of the him. headers that looked like good chances, two or three of them were actually offside and quite far offside. But obviously the way that football has played out now and that the chance happens, it looks like United created loads of chances, but actually Fulham's offside trap um, fr- from crosses was, was very, very good yesterday. I can only think of maybe the Cavani header straight after Pogba's goal, which was definitely onside and was definitely um, a, a golden chance that Ariola saved well. But I think you're right, Peter. There weren't a huge amount of United chances yesterday. I think, but there's there's a point here to be made that it's not necessarily said. That's not me necessarily saying that abandon the five at the back. I, I don't think that's the answer, and especially given how useful it's been for us over the last couple of weeks, I'm not saying that we should just suddenly, you know, pitch up and, and fix it. What I am saying is that if you are going to play five at the back, you need those two wider players to step up in games like this and challenge those shots from distance because otherwise you end up with with what happened yesterday. I think it's it's quite important important that we look at this and go look there's there's too many people in the midfield being overrun right yes of course we limited united to those chances but it only needed one of those you know one of those defenders to to step out or or one of those runs to be timed a little bit better and and those dinks over the top were causing us problems i'm not suggesting that the goals would have stood about any of these things that about the the saves that were made what i'm saying is that the problems were there and it was easy to see where the where the danger was and yet we allowed them to pick that spot time and time again and i felt like it was a at times in that game it was only a matter of time before we were punished and punished we were I do agree with what you're saying I do think that was definitely a way to combat it but every action has a as a reaction especially in football all right snatch (laughs) 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 Uh, all right well we're going to take a break there and uh, afterwards we're going to look at our problems going forward Part two of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy James here, joined by Peter Rutzler. Hello. And Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. Okay, so we've kind of discussed Fulham's, not necessarily problems defensively, but maybe some of the flaws that United exposed yesterday. Um, I, and also sometimes you do just have to hold your hands up and say, Paul Pogba, that was an unreal goal. I mean, me, my dad and I just kind of fell back into our sofa and just went... Ah, what a tosser. Um, Let's have a look at um, the issues going forward. And Jack, look, I know that you love Ivan Cavallero. He is is your horseman and he is a player that infuriates. But last night, I think it was the most extreme Ivan Cavallero performance that we've seen. I I, I was kind of a couple of times last night, I was questioning whether there was an imposter on the pitch and whether actually this man can play football because there was just some dreadful touches last night from him. And a lot of fans are asking whether Mitro would be that much worse. 
Yeah, no, and I think it's a very valid and reasonable question to be asking. Yeah, look, the uh, the horseman needs some cavalry, uh, as far as I'm concerned. It's a uh, we're, we're really struggling, and and look, I think that touch at the end of the first half where he kicks the ball against his own foot—it's the third time he's done that this season that I can remember off the top of my head. Which isn't, you know, the end of the world, but it is when those three things have been a penalty, a golden chance against Chelsea, and then in behind the back line against Man United. It's just not good enough. And yes, I like Cavallero. I, I like what he does in terms of, I, I like the way he holds the ball up on the floor. I like the way that he has quick feet and gets us out of, of, of situations. But I think that it's a completely reasonable point to be saying that would Mitrovic offer that much less? I, I, I think he would offer more uh, at this point. I understand what Scott's been trying to do with Cav. I understand that that pressing game uh, and the push towards the thing isn't just, and this isn't just an offensive thing. I think this is quite key to understand, right? It's not about, it's not just a about scoring goals and getting forward, although that is obviously a key part of this. It's also about defending from the front. And I saw a couple of tweets yesterday about the intensity of Fulham's press and the intensity of of the way that Fulham... Fulham's front three attack that back line. And I thought it was impressive in some ways. It's also what has helped to to stem the the goals, you know, in, in terms of conceding. It's it's helped, you know, dry things up in that regard because teams can't just sit and avalanche pressure onto us time and time and time again. And, you know, in the way that we, we've seen us, you know, not been able to get out before. And, and we, we managed to get out a couple of times yesterday that I was I was kind of impressed by. But I think at the end of the day, we're not scoring enough goals. When Mitrovic came on, the threat level went through the roof in terms of what we were offering and what we were what we were bringing to the table. And I think part of that is to do with the way that the style changed and the fact that we were pushing for a winner and obviously an equaliser and obviously then kick back towards them and, and kick the game back in sort of a more progressive direction. But also just what Mitrovic brings in terms of threat level in the box and, you know, that that physicality and the distraction of defenders and all those different elements I thought was, was important. So, yes, I, I think Cavalero offers something. Yes, I think he has a part of this squad, but I think that the time has come at, at some point that you have to be like, what are we losing for what we're gaining? And 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 perhaps the trade-off is that we, we're not gaining enough from Cav leading the line to justify it. But maybe if we saw Mitrovic do that for, for 90 minutes, we, again, we don't know how fit he is, we'd have a better idea of the the different elements of this because we'd have a better idea of a 90-minute comparison to give to both. Yeah, I'd agree with that, Jack. I'd really like to see Mitrovic do this role. Like literally try just to see what the difference is, really. I mean, uh, I asked Park about this ages ago and he said he didn't he thinks Mitrovic could do it, but he, he's you know, he's gone a different way with Cavalero, which is just kind of doesn't really answer the question that much. But the fact we haven't seen him in this setup really for an extended period of time. We're seeing him in ten minute bursts, fifteen minute bursts you're not really getting a sense of whether he could even do the role and, and maybe maybe he can't maybe he can't do the running that Cavalero does and can can the, offer the dynamism that Cavalero does um but it, it's becoming a lot harder to justify um when you're seeing so many promising attacking moves that just break down at critical moments um I, I think Mitrovic does change the way Fulham play I think we I think everyone accepts that um and it does feel, though, that, as you said, Jack, the, the trade-offs now are, it doesn't really make sense. You know, Fulham want a goal scorer. They want someone who can find that clinical edge in, in, at the goal. And um, and they've got one. You know, Mitrovic is is a player who can do that, who can score goals, who, who, who can be a threat in the penalty area. And 
is 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 that trade-off enough? Is that going to be enough, especially for the Brighton and West Brom games, which are you'd think different different matches entirely, different ways of setting up. But obviously, the last time Fulham played Brighton, uh, Mitrovic didn't get the start, and you just kind of think now there ha- there has to be. Uh, the, I wonder what level it will take before we see Mitrovic come back, if at all, because then it just raises other questions. Says, well, if if you're not going to use him, then then why why he's well, why is he there? I mean, that's. Is that a fair thing to ask? I think it might be because he's clearly got the goal scoring potential. We could see the threat he held when he came on. And then if he's not going to be of that sort of value, then it's just not really going to suit everyone. Now, fitness, of course, is is an issue seemingly. I mean, he had the hamstring issue. Um, confidence too. I think we've talked about that before. I think that was really evident in the QPR game where we saw a player snatch at chances not playing on instinct. There were two, three, four moments, I think, where a Mitrovic, who's, who's sharp, who's on it, um, would have scored, would have taken a shot early, one less touch. Um, but you just but you can't really build up that confidence without him playing. And maybe maybe that's the sort of the, the trap that, that Fulham find themselves in a little bit with him. Um, but, you know, it's... It, I, I'm, I'm with Jack. I like Cavalera. I like what he brings to the team in terms of a defensive point of view in terms of how they play in transition. I think he suits it well. I think he does have the the, the occasion where he does trip over the, his own feet, which is very, very annoying. Um, but in general, his, his ball control, his technique is actually very, very good. He's very good at holding onto the ball. He's good at dribbling in tight spaces. It's just that final end product that, that really lets him down. And at this level, when you need the big more, big moments to fall in your favour, as just Parker himself put it, you you kind of, you, you do need someone to, to be sharp enough to do that, like Lukman is. Um, obviously Cavallaro was on the left last night he wasn't necessarily a centre forward it was Lookman doing that sort of role and Lookman looked like he could do that um, but at the, at the same time you've still got Cavallaro getting into those areas and you want him to be able to offer an end product or a delivery from out wide and and you don't want Lookman's role to then stifle his best qualities because he is without doubt Fulham's best forward player um, but there is definitely a question with Mitrovic and you know, at the end of the game yesterday, I could see him from from the touchline doing these full pitch doggies, and I don't know if that was some kind of fitness. Like the, the players do sprints anyway; they always do sprints if you haven't played, and just to to get some sort of feeling into into the legs, and as if you've done the the equivalent of a match um, match workout, and, and put that load into 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 your legs. Uh, Mitch Fisher was doing full length doggies; I hadn't seen him do that before. End to end, he did, he did quite a few um, before doing some, some weight stuff, which which he did with a couple of other players as well. Um, so may- maybe there's a fitness thing there, maybe. But um, you know, at this point, you'd want to see him come back. I think. For me, you break the season into chapters, right? There's always natural kind of points in the season where it feels like there's a time to change something up, or there's a run of fixtures, and. If you broke Fulham's season up into chapters right now, of course, there's going to be those kind of mad four games at the start. But I think the Leicester game was a massive kind of chapter point in, in Fulham's season, right? We, we went into that match. We knew we had this really tough run of fixtures, not just the three fixtures with them, but we also knew that Spurs, United and Chelsea and Southampton were all around the corner. And, and Parker found this style, this five at the back, with Decadova Reed at the time playing the dual system and, and who will forget that Leicester game it was sensational in that match and Cavalero was was key to how it worked because Cavalero in his obvious kind of skill book his qualities 
fitted what Parker needed up front. He needed someone that was pacey and, as Jack said, that was willing to defend from the front and impress high. And Mitrovic was unfit. And I kind of saw why that Parker went for Cav. And in, in, in way, it kind of worked. But we're now starting to see nine, ten games into this new style that Parker's adopted, which is pretty loosely working. Yes, it maybe hasn't got the points that we'd have wanted at times, but it is definitely working and the performances are better. Now I think it's time for Parker with the games that are coming up to see how Mitrovic works into this system. We've got to remember Mitrovic, Mitrovic is 26. I think sometimes people talk about him like he's Charlie Austin or Ibrahimovic. Like he's still a 26 year old that yes, is nowhere near as quick as Cavalera, but the man could still run. He is not some 40 year old striker. And, and I think with some coaching, with some guidance. Now he's seen how this style works and what Parker wants. I think we've got to try and give him an opportunity. And particularly with the likes of Joe Bryan playing the next couple of games, with Kenny Tete, who's back, who can also put in a cross from deep, which we know that Mitrovic likes. And look, we uh, Lookman, I also think is better suited on the left-hand side, which is clearly his natural position. He did very, very well yesterday, but I much prefer Lookman inside. And look at the ball he delivered against Spurs. If he could put two of those a game in towards Mitrovic, yes, I know Cav got his head onto one of them fantastically, and Mitrovic would have been proud of that header. But I, I, I really think it's time to give Mitrovic a run. And look, whether he plays against Burnley, we'll, we'll come on to that. But you've got Brighton, West Brom, Leicester, West Ham, Everton, Sheffield United, Palace, all coming up. Yes, there's some tough games in there, but we haven't got any of the big six except Leicester. And, and look, I, I, I said it at the top, let's not give Leicester any disservice. They are where they are for a reason. They're a fantastic side. But other than that game, very, very winnable matches in there. And and I think it's time now for there be to be a bit of an evolution and for Parker to try Mitrovic. And I'm confident he will because... Often when the fans seem to see something collectively, I often think that Parker thinks the same and he learns from his mistake. And I'm quite confident that Parker will take that opportunity in the next few games to put Mitrovic up front. And, and I'm almost of the opinion, what's the worst that can happen? Because we're not scoring goals as it currently is. And, and I think against these teams, we can afford to take a few more risks because they don't have the attacking pedigree of the, the, of the sides that we've been facing. Um, Jack, am I completely mental in my uh, summary there? No, I think I think that's pretty reasonable. I, I don't think you you've kind of said anything that that's too undeserving. I, I think it's one of those strange ones where obviously we don't know exactly what's what's gone on behind the scenes. And I mean, I'd probably throw it to Peter there. There was there were rumours that Mitrovic was was pretty unhappy with the fact that he'd been left out of the side, but he was willing to to step back a little bit on that and and basically have clear the air talks with Parker and work hard to get back into the side. If that's the case, then I imagine that we will see see that yesterday. I, I still think there's something not quite right after Kamara was brought on you know ahead of him but that's not a dig at Kamara I thought he did all right to be honest when he came on and um he he, he set up the, the big chance for Loftus-Cheek towards the end but it did seem a little bit weird given the given what had happened and given the the, com the, the confidence with which Parker had spoke about Mitrovic at the press conference a couple of days earlier but yeah, if I mean, if that clear the air talk has, has happened and there does seem to be harmony back within the camp, then I would expect to see more of Mitrovic as the weeks roll on. 
Uh, Peter, let's speak about Loftus-Cheek again. I feel like he gets a section on this podcast every single week, but um, I thought the contrast of his first half to his second half performance yesterday was was startling. I, I thought he was really, really good in the second period. Sometimes his end product lacked, and particularly the way he swiped at that chance he had towards the end, which was a really, really good chance by Premier League standards, was, was not good enough. But we saw yesterday what he could provide um his turn of pace on that right hand side he created several chances yesterday um look his finishing is not quite there but I think we saw glimpses of what Loftus-Cheek can offer but it kind of goes back to the same point we keep seeing glimpses of what Loftus-Cheek can offer he still has not put it into a 90 minute performance as far as I'm concerned yeah I think um, glimpses aren't really enough I think is the sort of sentiment and I think that's fair um, of course, there are so many mitigating factors with, with Loftus-Cheek and the way he's come back and he's readapting and then there's the positional issues he's playing in the best area that suits him. Uh, I agree that it was it was very Jekyll and Hyde, as, as Jack said earlier, you know, and as you said there, like, you know, first half was quite anonymous, didn't really seem to be involved in the game, didn't really suit the sort of the defensive shape Fulham had to sit in for a long period of time. And then in the second half, he was really effective in on the break and transitions, created chances and and then you look at it another way and you think, well, if he he takes one of those chances that he did have, the two great chances, and then he took the chance against Brighton, as we mentioned earlier, you're looking at a player with a handful of goals and suddenly his contributions aren't as negligible as, as they are. But I, Fulham do need to see more from him, I think, for the role he plays um, in those forward areas, not just in terms of goals, but in terms of the influence. They need more of those sort of second half performances. Uh, I think he, he knows that. I think it was an interview with him in the uh, match day program and he talks about how he needed Parker as a, to be a manager who would understand he might have a slow start because of the nature of his injury, which was extremely serious um, and will take a long time to come back. But he wasn't brought in for, for that. If, you know, that's that's the, the balance, isn't it? You, you don't bring in the player to, to recuperate and you bring him in to, to lift the team. And um, I think it's encouraging that we saw such an extended period of, of, of Loftus-Cheek influencing the game. That's something we haven't really seen for that amount of time. Um, I thought he, I, I feel like the last few games have been quite encouraging as a whole. I mean, um, Tottenham in particular, there were good spells in that match where he would get on the ball, he would drive from deep. And we, we saw that against Manchester United as well on the break where he'd carry the ball long distances. I think the chance he, uh, he ended up taking, I think was started by his run. Um, from from deep and and that's that's what he's good at that that's what Fulham wants to see more of um, against QPR I also thought he did quite well I thought his movement was really good he was making did very you? good runs he was working very hard off the ball uh, wasn't always found by by the right pass or a pass early enough um, but but that those cumulative performances one after the other is uh, is actually a very good sign and I think he'll know and I think uh, you know Fulham Fulham know that he needs to be contributing more in those forward areas especially as the team are struggling so much in front of goal um he will need to to try and step into that if he can because he is playing in in these really attacking positions he's playing as an attacking midfielder now we've debated whether that's the right position for him but fundamentally that's where he's playing and and this is what he needs to do and um you know with the games coming up there's an opportunity now for him to to really sort of make his mark and and show his worth to the team i mean i've i've always i've i'm of the opinion that he he does work very hard in those games and he and he does um press well and he offers something defensively he's fantastic in the air he help allows Fulham to allows Fulham to move up the field in that regard especially without mitrovic 
which has been a which has been a bonus. Um, but that that's not the only thing he's in the team for. So yeah, I mean that it was very, it was encouraging that second half, and that that's what's got to be taken. And you know he takes one of those goals, and suddenly we're talking about lost to cheek. You know, is this is he going to kick on now? Um, maybe that will come with a bit more game time and dusting off the rust, if you see what I mean. Um, yeah, I think it's important to just kind of add into this that there was a lot of things there. Obviously, that's um, there's a lot going on with Loftus Cheek. The the fact that he had a slow start, uh, I think, is understandable, but equally is quite a painful thing to swallow as a Fulham fan because the way that you're looking at this is you want a loan to come in and make an impact. Now, I've been quite an ardent defender of Loftus-Cheek. I thought that he did well against Liverpool. I thought he did well against Leicester. I thought he was good against Tottenham. And I thought he was good in the second half last night. Um, In the first half, I thought he was almost completely anonymous. And I didn't think he was particularly good against QPR in in stark contrast, Jupiter. But that's fair enough. That's different ways of watching the game. What I do think is that Loftus-Cheek is a really easy target for criticism because of the way that he plays and the way that he looks when he plays the way that he he presses is about body shape it's about the way that he looks to cut off passing lanes and it often looks a bit lackadaisical it often looks a bit like he's not really trying and I think that that makes him an exceptionally easy target it looks like a lot of the time that he isn't really doing anything when when I think he probably is and yes I do I think he's playing 100% no chance but I think he's now playing at a lot higher level than he was when we first saw him. And those kind of explosive moments, I think, will come as he becomes more and more comfortable. Now, the problem is that we've had that for five months, right? Where we've had five months where he just hasn't been particularly good. And at the end of the season, he's going to go back to Chelsea. And that is quite difficult to swallow. What I do think is that the people saying that he should be cut short now is that he's just starting to find a little bit of rhythm. If we cut this loan short now, there's absolutely no chance he doesn't go to Brian and score seven goals in the second half of the season. So, so I've always been an ardent defender that he needs to stay at the club now to the end of the season and try and make good on the investment, if you will, that we've made in him in terms of playing time and the things around him. So so there's, there's there's different things at play, right? But I did think yesterday in the second half, he was a really important link between midfield and attack or defence and attack, to be honest, because we were penned in our own half for quite a lot of it. And actually, it's it's kind of important to, to, to take that we looked at Tom Kearney quite effectively in the first bits of the season before he picked up this injury as the player that could do that, the player that can drive Fulham up the pitch, the player that can get on the ball in the opposition half and hurt teams. And in the second half yesterday, I think we saw a bit more of that from Loftus-Cheek. Yes, his end product was poor. Uh, and that's something that has to improve over the, the course of the coming games. But I did think we saw a bit of the spark that allows us to, to run at teams, to create those over loads to to get to the point that we are starting to run at, at defenses and cause them issues and, and Loftus-Cheek was the main proprietor of that yesterday in the second half you know Adamola Lookman does it really well he wriggles between players he makes defenders get on the back foot and that's what we need from Loftus-Cheek from deeper positions because otherwise we end up with two very distinct halves of the pitch sort of this back five plus Angisa and Reed. Angisa I thought was is still looking about 80% he was brilliant for the first 15 minutes tailed off towards the end of end of the first half and didn't really come back into the game and without his running from midfield we look very disjointed and Loftus-Cheek I thought linked that up really well in the second half and that's what I was most excited about the fact that he's able to get in behind that able he's able to cut across defenses to cause problems and with all that in mind I think that we have to see him kick on now 
from from the next game onwards in these games against lower caliber, if you will, opposition. Uh, no disrespect, we would probably include ourselves in that category as well. But against these teams around us, we want a player that, that has the you know the, the X factor that he did in the second half yesterday to kick on and start to create goals, to score goals, to make chances and put them away. And, and and that's what I'm expecting from him over the next couple of games. Okay, well, we're going to leave it there for the United reaction. And we're going to be looking ahead, in some ways, to Sunday's fourth round FA Cup match against Burnley after the break. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here with Jack Collins and Peter Rutzler. Let's look ahead then to Sunday's match against Burnley at the Cottage. A fourth round FA Cup match and one of those FA Cup ties that it feels like neither side are probably that bothered about winning. Um, I A lot of people were disappointed when this draw was made, Jack, but actually I thought in the circumstances it probably was the perfect draw in lots of ways because it felt like Okay, A, a bit of a winnable game at home. You don't have to travel to uh, the depths of the country, which is handy when you've got lots of games coming up. Um, Not a disgrace if you lose, though, because it's a fellow Premier League side. Um, Also, not um, a really difficult game against one of the top sides where you feel like, oh, we need to be a bit more up for it because it's... uh, I don't know, United, City, Liverpool, travelling to the cottage, etc. So... In terms of, we, we, we keep using this phrase free hit, but Sunday has got to be the closest to a free hit that, that you're ever going to get against Burnley. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely spot on. Um, we we just don't need this game, really. If we win it, we have quite a favourable well, looking tie in the, in the round after. Obviously, the Peter Rutzler derby is probably the most likely, likely outcome where Fulham would, would draw <laughs> Bournemouth. But it, it's one of those where it doesn't really matter. What I would do is rest almost everybody um i saw a tweet yesterday i think it was just like i wouldn't let any of the the, the squad the first team that played yesterday even in the squad uh, against burnley it, it really does feel like just a game to a, a game to to rotate aggressively to get minutes into the legs of, of players we want to get minutes into but but ultimately to to really not worry about too much i think the back of the first half yesterday we looked absolutely shattered and yes, we were better second half and towards the end of the game, obviously the the kind of adrenaline kicks in as you, you're kind of searching for an equalizer. And so the same tail off didn't happen second half, but it did worry me and the fitness levels did look a little bit low. We've played a lot of games in the last week and a half off a, after a long break. So I'm not surprised by it. It's not really a criticism. It's just the way that the schedule is this year. Um, so I would would use this opportunity to rotate aggressively, to rest aggressively and and just allow people that, that little breather before a really, really, as we say, crucial period in the league. Uh, if we win and, you know, it'd be a great chance, as, as Peter said before, to to give Sylvester Jasper and Fabio Carvalho a, a run out. It'd be nice to see some of the kids um, and, and we think it is an opportunity as well to to give some minutes to, you know, Michael Hector and Tim Ream and. And those players, Dennis Adoy probably deserves a, a bit of a kick around at this point, you think? So so on, in that regard, I, I would like to see Scott rotate really heavily. It's no no shame to lose. You go out, you try and win it with, with, with the players that potentially aren't going to be the ones starting the week after against West Brom and Brighton. 
Uh, and then from there, it, it's kind of a, yeah, like you say, this we've said no free hits this season. I, I'll make an exception for this game. Full strength for me. Bournemouth in the next round. <laughs> <laughs> Peter wants it to happen <laughs> so badly. <laughs> no, Jack, Jack, Jack's absolutely right. I mean, it, I'd be so surprised if there's not a lot of rotation in this game, more so than... I think there was for, for QPR. In fact, I was surprised at the lineup that was played out. But I guess it was a case of trying to get minutes in, in, into legs. And I think it'll be a different story here with the game midweek next week as well, trying to give uh, the current first teamers that that week of, of, of recovery. As Jack said, there were ele- elements to the game where the team looked leggy, where they were struggling with, with United's intensity, um, which I think is inevitable um, considering the break and trying to get back up to speed but uh, this is a good chance now for to, to to get some rest and you know it would be good to to see some of the youngsters I, I think it'd be nice to see them get minutes I think that's one thing that has lacked a little bit this season and I think it's inevitable when you're in a relegation fight to an extent um, there was a stat um, from training ground guru recently that said um, Fulham of uh, Fulham Academy players have had the fewest minutes of any Premier League side in, in, in the Premier League, um, which is which is a little disappointing, I think, um, considering the recent track record of bringing young players through. So it'd be nice to give them minutes. Of course, there are some significant considerations with that in terms of the first team bubble, whether they're training within the bubble uh, and making sure that they actually do get those minutes as opposed to, to turning up and not actually featuring, which you know, is also a, a consideration, I think, for, for some games too, because you want them to be playing in their under-23 games, if not. So um, good opportunity for that, I think, on, on, on Sunday. Burnley in the same boat, which helps. And um, yeah, a, a game that just, just sort of needs to happen and then pass on and we can look ahead to, to next week. Yeah, I mean, Burnley tonight have a difficult game uh, away at Anfield, which will probably have been played by the time that you listen to this podcast. Then next Wednesday, uh, I think they've got Villa coming to um, Turf Moor. So there's no doubting that Burnley are in exactly the same position. And look, nine goals scored all season. Everyone kind of, I think, because they won a few games in a row, said, oh, Burnley aren't in the relegation fight. They're in the relegation fight. Any team that only has only scored nine goals at this stage of the season is 100% a candidate for relegation. Do I think they'll be there at the end of the season? Don't know. I think they do happen to just win those games at Turf Moor um, and, and generally get themselves safe. But, you know, th- there's no way that Sean Dyche is going to be prioritising this game either. Uh, I mean... It is so weird with the FA Cup as well because Fulham could find themselves stumbling into the quarterfinals given the way that the draws happen. I mean, no disrespect for Bournemouth. Bournemouth might be a, a really tricky tie, but you know they've got their own um, kind of promotion playoff push um, ongoing at the moment. But you know, Premier League side against Championship side, you would always favour that even a Premier League reserve side would, would have a go. Uh, it's, it's quite weird that we'd find ourselves potentially in the quarterfinals, Jack. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but it is just one of those luck of the draws, really, and. <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to ask you how full and play it if we do get into the quarterfinals, but um, it is just a bit odd how it's fallen. And on any other season, if Fulham were comfortable in mid-table, we'd be absolutely delighted with the way it's fallen. Yeah. Also, if we were there, I think things would be completely different, right? So if there were the opportunity of going to Wembley and having fans there, then obviously it's a far more attractive prospect than than watching Fulham in a in a quarterfinal or a semi-final or, or even a final, you know, touch wood and, and all that, if if you couldn't go to it. So there's all these different elements at play, right? And there are, 
uh, the, the fact that we wouldn't be able to go even if Fulham did, you know, stumble the way to the final is, is something I think that, that counts against it and therefore is probably adding to the kind of malaise around the cup this year. Um, but, you know, it is what it is and you've got to, you've got to play, you know, I say, rotate squad if we win and we get through and then we look at the Bournemouth game in isolation or, you know, it, it, they're not there yet either. They've got a fourth round tie to play first. Um, so you look at each game in isolation in, in regards to where you are. You know, if we if we happen to win the next four and we're in 12th, you know, we, we're suddenly looking at this in a, in a lot different way than we are looking at it in 18th with no, you know, real real happiness of getting out of it. So so obviously everything depends on the situation at the time. It's just games as they come, right? Without sounding all, I'm a Premier League footballer after a, after a big game. <laughs> but, but it is kind of a, let's just take a, a second and be like, look, we, we'll deal with that as, as and when it, it becomes an issue. Um, and, and right now we need to rotate and be ready for those two huge games against Brighton and West Brom next week. Jack wants to just get his head down and let his feet do the talking. Yeah, um, or what's the other thing that you've um, failed to realise here, Jack, is whilst it may be the Peter Rutzler derby if it's uh, Fulham versus Bournemouth, it's the Sammy James derby if it's Fulham versus Crawley, given where uh, it's not, given where I'm from. It's because because Horsham are closer to you than Crawley. Yeah, but Horsham Horsham are in non-league. Crawley is very uh, Crawley is very much local to me. I'm 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 not having that. I'm not having that. That's like calling a Fulham versus QPR of a Jack Collins derby. Like no, it's it's completely different. Crawley is a Sammy James derby, and I'm I'm not hearing anything else. If I if if Fulham play Hamwell Town, then we have a Jack Collins derby. Just if if Fulham play Horsham, we have a Sammy James derby, and uh, that's the end of it, I'm afraid. No, no, no. West Sussex United, basically. Basically, it doesn't matter if it's in West Sussex, if it was Chichester, it's still a Sammy James derby. Um, Peter, then um, just having a quick eye on personnel for this match. I know that we you basically have said that it's going to be none of the first team. I mean, I'm looking at the substitutes bench from yesterday. Hector, Adoy, Cabano, Mitrovic is an interesting one, which we'll come on to. But Rodak, Reem, Lamina, Onoma, Kamara, nearly all of those have got to be playing, right? You would think so, yeah. I'd be surprised if if they didn't. Um, uh, there'll be a few that, that probably won't be involved. I think, um, obviously, Stefan Johansson and I understand attracted interest from from the neighbours from from QPR. So that's one that could could uh, to be regressing. And obviously, he hasn't been involved at all, and neither is Kevin McDonald. And it doesn't look like they will be, um, judging from past uh, past games this season. So. Um, and then also John Seri is still in talks to Galatasaray. Um, he, that, he may not be involved either, um, even though he did feature in the in the League Cup. So there, there was a bit of, of, of scope there. So unless there's change on that front, then maybe he won't be be involved. I think it'd be good to see Lamina get a start. I think he needs to, to build up his, his minutes. He's had a long period on the on the sidelines and he'll be eager to to, to come on and, and, and improve. I mean, he did well in the cameo, as, as Jack said. You know, that's... that's, that's um, That'll be good to good for him in particular, uh, but yeah, I think I think you're looking at those on the bench as as, as starters, and and I'd be surprised if if that wasn't the case. Do you play Mitrovic, Peter? Given what we talked about earlier, that we think that he could have some real importance in the next few games, is it important to get him some some more minutes ahead of those Premier League matches, even if it's not the full ninety? Maybe a a forty five or a sixty minutes might be useful. For Mitrovic, and if he bags a goal as well, we know that he's a confidence player. Yeah, forty-five and sixty, maybe. I think I think you, you could have a strong case for that because he hasn't played for ninety. Um, well, since he did in the QPR game, didn't he? Um, 
bit part minutes aren't aren't helpful they don't they don't help you get into a rhythm so getting into a rhythm would be the ideal scenario for for, for Mitrovic and if you can just get a goal if it just sort of hits him and goes in you know that, that's that's kind of what he needs really and and maybe maybe that could can lift him for, for the midweek games I mean if he plays a full 90 then it doesn't look like he's going to be involved as it's uh, for midweek um it wouldn't seem to suggest it so yeah I think minutes would be good for him uh, the game, if you're in the UK, um, is on BT Extra at 2HD, which I believe is probably only accessible via the app. I don't actually know because I don't have BT Sports on my, my, my TV, but it's a 2.30pm kickoff on Sunday. It'd be interesting to see who uh, Fulham do put out for this match but yeah it's live on bt sport somewhere 2 30 on sunday so if you've got the app i imagine that's how uh, it's best to watch it and um, that's probably all from us today uh jack collins what would you like to go for for the podcast name i think jack taplin's biden our time is oh. too good to ignore just a fantastic use of wordplay uh, and you know it's something that I, I i hugely respect so um yeah jack taplin congratulations uh you are not the weakest link. I mean, one of the best. I I, I even put it in the um, Fulhamish WhatsApp group last night, and I rarely do that. You know, it's it's tickled me when I had to put it in the Fulhamish WhatsApp group. It was that good a three word review, in my opinion. So Jack Taplin at Tappers four five six, you are very much the uh, three word chief for today. Um, alongside uh, two other chiefs here on the podcast, you are very much in good company, Jack. So uh, thank you for listening today, uh, Peter Rutzler. Thank you for being on the pod. No, thank you, Sammy. Uh, Jack Collins, thank you. Thanks, Sammy. I believe I'm hosting the podcast on Sunday. Not sure. I'll have to oh, double that means check. We're going to lose. Uh, well, I mean, if there's one game that we're okay to lose, then it's probably uh, that one. I do need to stop hosting podcasts. Fulham can might have a chance you, of getting out of the drop zone. Me for after West, West Brom and Brighton, please. Be my guest. I, I, I'm pretty sure you are definitely doing after West Brom because it's my birthday next Sunday. So I, I requested it off. Uh, so you're definitely you're definitely doing after West Brom, Jack. Three um, points incoming. Uh, we will be back then on Sunday looking back at that Burnley game and then much more importantly looking ahead to that crunch match at the Amex against Brighton Uh, and we'll see how that one goes so have a good weekend we'll see what happens in the cup coming you whites you whites